I'm Mike. I'm Austin. We are the test drivers. And we put tech through its paces. And do you want to tell me what you've got going on over there? <laughs> what? Me? Nothing. <laughs> Mike, it's a very, very normal day. I'm excited to be recording a new episode of the podcast with my 100% normal gear. You played and- yourself, is what happened. <laughs> Right? No, what? <laughs> You've 100% played yourself. So you thought you'd do a really cool thing and try and use the iPad mini as like a production machine for a few days. And then you ended up forgetting your laptop. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, yeah, uh, something like that. Um, uh, look, we've talked about the iPad mini in the past. I think mm-hmm. it's a device that we both really enjoy. Love you know, it. when you were out here a few months ago, you had it and you were like reading your notes off it and everything. And I was like, oh, man. I need an iPad mini, right? So I got one and everything. And so uh, recently, in fact, actually just literally last night, I got back from a trip where I took only the iPad mini. So didn't bring a MacBook, didn't bring any kind of laptop. The iPad mini was my main device. And um, it was actually really nice, Um, except that uh, I left my laptop at home. And then uh, now I'm recording on non-standard gear here at the office because I don't have a computer that can record. So, uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, I wish the iPad mini could record with uh, Mac OS style features because that would make my life a whole lot better right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, do <laughs> no, I mean, look, there's a bunch of like weird workarounds that I we could probably record on the iPad because I know you you some of your co-hosts or you said some people on Relay have actually recorded, right? Yeah, they all ended up giving up on that over time because like it's like you need all this additional hardware and stuff, and it's just a it's a nightmare. Like you need it can't be something you can do in a pinch. You have to plan it that way. Because you need additional gear if you want to try and make it work well. Or you do the thing that I've done before in a pinch and I know other people have done where it's like, we have a call and you're using your iPhone and we're having the call and you're like recording yourself into the iPad. It's just like, Uh, you know, and you're like using AirPods and then also the microphone. It's like a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So right now I am using one of the work systems that I have uh, hastily cobbled together to to record. But uh, look, uh, aside from that little oversight in my um, planning, uh, the iPad Mini actually did really well. So we were at a Toyota event and we shot everything on iPhone mm-hmm. and I edited everything on iPad, which was a really, really actually fun kind of experience. Okay. Um, so... The way we did it was, so to be fair, we weren't shooting any YouTube content, so it was all for social between, we were shooting a bunch of stuff actually for Toyota's Instagram, so it's going to be going live on their like stories and Instagram and whatnot, and then we had stuff for like TikTok and everything for us too, but everything was sort of social. So shooting on the iPhone was great, and that's actually not something that's that out of the ordinary. We honestly shoot a lot of stuff, even for videos. Like yeah. we've got a video that should be live by the time that the, the podcast is up. Uh, taking a look at a Minecraft gaming PC that we've built. And I would say 20% of that video, unironically, is being shot on the iPhone just because that was the best camera that we had at the time. It's just so easy. Some of the Checo video was shot on your iPhone too, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, but a big chunk of this Minecraft video was set up. Uh, In fact, actually, a part of the video, I was at an undisclosed location needing to record a quick little pickup. I was like, you know what? 
I'm going to pull out the phone and 30 seconds later I was recording and it just we just got it done. So yeah. the iPhone has been putting in a lot of work for us, especially the new, you know, the 13 Pro and whatnot. Um, so shooting everything on the iPhone was great. Ken also has an iPad mini. Do you shoot in the, um, what is it called? Pro Raw? No, not mm. Pro Raw. The, the, the video Pro one. Pro Res. Do you shoot in Pro Res when you do stuff for the channel? Uh, no. no. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, look, I the footage, if you're really pixel peeping, looks slightly better. Yeah. But it goes from... So one of the big advantages of the iPhone is you could just airdrop the footage, right? So what we were doing was Ken was shooting on his iPhone. Yep. He was... For stills, he was airdropping it to his his own iPad Mini to run through Lightroom to process. And for video, he was airdropping it to my iPad Mini, which I was then cutting in LumaFusion. If that was ProRes, I mean, I guess technically we could have airdropped it, but the file sizes for ProRes are, I don't even think I'm like exaggerating here, like 50 times bigger. It's just, it's yeah. obnoxious. No, I mean, it seems kind of pointless for a lot of stuff. I, I was just kind of wondering... Um, if there was something specific about the new phones that were making you use it more, and I wondered if it was that or if it's just the incremental change has kind of pushed it over the edge for you. Yeah, it's definitely the latter because uh, that was the main reason why I wanted to do, like I got like the one terabyte one, uh, you know, iPhone Pro and I was just like, oh, yeah. we're gonna be shooting all this kind of ProRes. But really quickly it became apparent that the quality improvement is super minimal. And just the back-end work is way, way crazy. Like, if right. we had all the time in the world, like, sure, why not? But, yeah, no, the bigger main sensors and the wide angle and all that kind of stuff helps a lot. But honestly, dude, I've actually been really happy with cutting on the iPad. Because, so, have you ever used LumaFusion on the a iPhone or the bit. iPad? I mean, I've played around with it just from, like, a, a curiosity standpoint. But I don't produce video, especially edited video, so I've never needed to like make something on it, but I've downloaded it and played around with it and thrown some clips in and done some transitions just to like, because when this app came out originally, or at least it kind of hit a point where like it became like, oh, you know, you can do this, like you can make it work, you know? And there were like more and more like iPad focused YouTubers were like, no, this is how I make all my videos. Cause, you know, I've, I've checked it out in, in that regard, but I've never actually done something that I've put somewhere with it, you know? Yeah, so I have spent time with it sort of on and off. So I've always been, or at least for the last six, seven years, I've been a Final Cut editor. So like there have been small social videos that like I will shoot on my phone and sometimes edit on my phone and bounce out. But it's always like very simple stuff. If you know, it's like three or four clips and like, you know, a little bit of B-roll or something. And, you know, sometimes if I'm in a pinch or I just need to knock something out really quick, it works fine. I've used it a little bit on iPad, but this is the first time I actually really sat down and did sort of more, uh, again, not like full YouTube scale videos, but these were, you know, 60 seconds each. There's, you know, six, seven A-roll clips, a bunch of B-roll. I do a bunch of audio work and some color. There's there's a fair bit sort of involved there. I was really happy with it. Now, to be fair, uh, it, the first uh, first little chunk of the day, because I had to basically, the the layout of the, the event was, we had about a 12-hour span between when the event started when we started shooting content, and that night when the last part of the event happened and we were had to basically finish everything. So basically, I had to, by the end of the night, process, edit, and upload all of the content we had shot throughout the day. And you know what? By the end of the night, when I was finishing up my last yeah. edits, it was smooth. I literally all I had was the iPad Mini. I used the pencil and I had the just smart keyboard. Or sorry, the smart cover. So no keyboard of any kind. Just using the the pencil for navigation. 
super, super happy with it. It bounced it out really quickly. I've got the, you know, the, the cellular iPad, so I was able to upload everything without having to try to track down some like Wi-Fi network or something like that. Um, it was great for that use case. Um, uh, unfortunately, I need to record podcast and post YouTube content today, and that's not working for me. <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> but for that, that it was great for everything else this week. Uh-huh. Well, I'm pleased that it worked for you, you know, even though now you've kind of <laughs> messed it all up. Uh, yeah, talking about handhelds, Steam Deck is coming on February 25th. Soon. Soon. I was really confused when I read this news because it was like, it's coming on February 25th. The shipments are going out February 28th. And I'm like, so what's happening on February 25th then? <laughs> and like, so maybe I've missed this. I mean, I didn't order one. So maybe I've missed how this process works. So mm-hmm. on Feb- so I want to read this from Polygon. On launch day, users who have already reserved Steam Decks will receive invitations to purchase devices from the initial batch. The first invites will have 72 hours to order their Steam Decks once they receive the email, after which their invitation will be passed on to the next person on the waitlist. The reservation price will be applied to the user's final order, but everyone can only order the model they already received. Uh, reserved so then you could i guess there's going to be some add-ons or whatever you can put on there but basically it's not going to be like a big land rush thing they're only going to send out invites for the amount that they have so like people who have pre-ordered can now log back in you actually get a a time window when you expect like basically everyone i know is q2 for their steam deck the embargo date has been announced for review units is also being february 25th I don't like yeah. the sound of that. That's usually not a good sign. It's not always a bad sign, but it's usually yeah. not yeah. a good sign when it's like day of purchase or whatever. Yeah. I, most of the time, I fully agree with that. The only sort of reason why I'm not massively concerned is because you have 72 hours, right? So everyone who has an order put down like the $5 or whatever it was for the reservation, you don't actually have to make the the call immediately. Like if you get the email... You've got 72 hours to do it. You've got a little bit of time. So, Oh, did you only put down a small amount? Like it wasn't the full amount? No, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's why you have the initial deposit and then you have right. the actual full price that they're charging. Okay. So if you've put your money down, you're you know, front of the line, you get that email, you've got 72 hours to make your decision, more than enough time because I'm sure the reviews are going to go live at the same time to make a more informed sort of choice. Yeah. I, I like that more. Obviously, that's, that's it would be ideal. Point. If it was a little earlier, but my strong inclination is those people who do have those sort of day one um, tickets in line, probably going to want to buy it regardless because something tells me that this is going to be flipping on eBay for double the price pretty much day one. That's a good point. But uh, uh, yeah, like uh, there's, Valve has, I think, done a fairly good job of being pretty open. They've talked a lot about Steam Deck. We've got, I mean, honestly, a ton of information. And I feel like last year they did a little like kind of developer day. Um, But also, there's still a lot of questions. I think there's a lot of questions about people's expectations versus the reality of what actually will arrive in, you know, February 28th or whenever they actually sort of start hitting consumers' hands. Because I saw a bunch of people talking online about like, there's no list of compatible games. And there are ways, there are like these websites, there's one called streamdb.info, which like pulls in a bunch of metadata about Steam games. And at the moment, using this tool, I mean, like, look, this isn't an official tool, but using this tool, it suggests that there are only like 30 
there are 45 games in the entire Steam library, which is hundreds of thousands of games, I guess, at this point. 45 that are Steam Deck verified, 39 that are Steam Deck playable. So these are games that have been given that tag. Mm. That's not that many games. And so, I mean, you know, like that's <laughs> look, that's a massive question mark, right? Because yeah, I'm sure you know maybe by the time this episode comes out, or like within the next few weeks, you would expect more information to be coming out. Is what you would hope, but there is the concern, right? Of like what's going to run. It's hard to tell. Yeah, and like they're also waiting on a big Steam OS update too, which I believe right. is going live at the same time or around the same time as the Steam Deck, which supposedly will mean that a lot more games will be able to be playable. But yeah, I agree. I mean, the optimistic side of me wants to say that, you know, there's tons of games that are ready and they're going to flip the switch and the metadata is all going to sort of show up on launch day. And I do expect that a lot of developers uh -huh. are going to wait till, you know, the actual launch to push their updates live. Maybe they've still, you know, spend the last few weeks kind of putting it together. But also, I don't really have a great sense of how many developers have actually had hands on the Steam Deck. Probably I don't feel like, yeah, it doesn't seem like a ton. Like, there so, could be a lot of games. It kind of reminds me of, like, Apple devices. There could be a lot of games that technically could run, but the developers don't want to say that until they've tried it, which I think exactly. is, is very fair. And I will say, on this list, by the way, that's on this Steam DB website, there's a ton of fantastic games on here, like Portal 2, Hades, Witcher, Celeste, uh, Sekiro is on here. Warhammer, Death Strand. Like it's really great games on this list, but it's a small list. Um, and I'm sure like there will be a bunch of like indie games that will just run no problem because they're not incredibly processor hungry. Yeah, but it, you know, it, it's just a strange. It's just a strange. This whole thing is this product just continues to be really strange for me. Like I have been uh, accused by some friends of mine of being too of being pretty like distrusting or down on this product yep which yep. i kind of play up a little bit but i am a little bit like i don't know like i just i don't know about this one uh, to me the jury is still out valve has not had the greatest history mm -hmm. of hardware yep. like and how it runs and what runs on it and there are just a couple of things in there that set off my antennas one of them being the review embargo date like They've obviously got these things. Like, it's not like, oh, you know, it's like we're still waiting on the shipment to come in. Like, they've got them. They're sitting somewhere mm -hmm. ready to go. And that just, I don't know, it's, it's a bit strange to me. But I, I will echo what you were saying, that it's not like, um, you know, you've put the entire, all your money down on a pre-order, right? Like, yeah, you, can, you know. Yeah, I, I, I think if I were to take an educated guess, mm. I feel like hardware is probably going to be fine. I think it's going to be a little bit bigger than a lot of people expect, but I think hardware will be fine and it will have enough performance to be fine. My strong feelings here is that it's really going to be a software thing of not only game support, but also just how well the Steam Deck and SteamOS is able to handle games that have not been optimized. Because mm. I think you're right. I think simple games should be able to be played with with a few exceptions, of course, but generally speaking, fine. But I think if people get this in their hands and it is buggy or there's a, a lot of games that are semi-playable or games that are just playing at terrible frame rates because, you know, they haven't been optimized or whatever, I think that's a real, real possibility. And I think that's going to be the issue of just like, oh, it's great if you play the 50 games that are approved and everything else is kind of sketchy, but, but... 
you know that it's going to get updates and just uh, just hang tight with us. I mean, yeah. that feels like the move, and that's probably why they're pushing everything to the last possible minute so they can throw every bit of polish and every kind of game update that they can at it. But to me, I think the low price and the sky-high expectations among most people, I kind of feel online, I think is kind of set things to be a little too ambitious because I've tried a lot of these things, obviously not the Steam Deck, but with a lot of the other Windows-powered little portable devices. And none of them are that great. I mean, we Mm -hmm. just recently spent some time with the IA Neo, which is probably the closest competition right now, running Windows, but, uh, you know, it's AMD processor and whatnot, slightly different than what you get on the Steam Deck. But uh, the thing is, these little portable PCs tend to be not the most ergonomic, right? It's, It's definitely like a big, big stretched out switch, but also... They're like they run hot. They have got fans. It's like there's a lot of stuff that if you're used to like a switch style experience, I don't think even the Steam Deck will be able to be as portable, as seamless, as quiet and cool and everything. I, I think people need to maybe lower their expectations yep. for how amazing the Steam Deck really is going to be because there's a lot of ways it may not disappoint you across the board, but I think there are a lot of ways where people will be disappointed because these expectations are just way, way too unrealistic. Yeah, I mean it's like. Switch is what it is and does what it does because of these constraints, you know? Like, Nintendo keep that thing and make decisions on that thing to keep it low in power consumption. Yep. For these reasons, you know? And the games that this thing will be playing are not that. They don't yes, make that way. exactly. Yeah, because, like, you figure when the Switch is cranking at 100%, I mean, have you ever been annoyed that your Switch is too warm or the fans running too loud? I mean... Not really. No. At least not for me. But even with the Steam Deck, because it has like sort of the different TDP modes, even with the Steam Deck running in sort of its lowest performance mode, it's still probably going to be a little warm. And if you've got that thing really cranking, I can really easily see a scenario in which, you know, you hear the fan running. I mean, this thing is almost more like a, you know, thin and light gaming laptop than a portable tablet or something. So, uh, look, I'm rooting for Valve, I'm rooting for the Steam Deck. I do think it will be a good product. And I'm excited mm-hmm. to spend time with it. I just think this feels like it's got red flags of people being super amped, thinking it's the most amazing thing ever. And mm-hmm. it's going to have a lot of very realistic flaws that all of its competition does right now. And people are going to be like, oh, well, I still, I'm still going to enjoy it. But it's just, I don't know, man. I, I want this to be a success because I think that this is a really great corner of the market to exist for these types of games, to have something that is not just hand-holdable but also easy to plug and play, like into a TV or whatever. Like, I love all of that stuff. But similarly, I'm just like, I'm expecting this to be a very version one product. Yes, yes. That's probably the best way to think about it. And I like you, I think that there is a little bit too... The, the hype is is too strong for this and and so i'm i'm just like trying to set my expectations accordingly this episode of the test drivers is brought to you by doppler in software development secrets are private pieces of information that act as keys to unlock protected resources or sensitive information so you can imagine how stressful it is to configure these manage them and share them securely across different teams and cloud services and stuff like that 
Well, those days are over. Introducing Doppler, the first universal secrets platform. It enables developers to automate the pain away of managing secrets and EMV files. These are a type of hidden file used in working with these secrets. Doppler is your team's central source of truth for secrets and app configuration across all environments and clouds. Whether your secrets are in Docker, AWS, Vercel, or anywhere else, Doppler works where you work, and as your stack evolves, Doppler remains simple. More than 11,000 customers across all company sizes, from startups to enterprises, use Doppler, so they can keep their secrets and app configuration in sync across devices, environments, and team members. Say goodbye to .env files. Set up Doppler for your team in less than four minutes. Sign up via doppler.com slash L slash test drivers. That's all lowercase, of course. That's doppler.com slash L slash test drivers. Go there right now. Our thanks to Doppler for their support of this show and Relay FM. Massive news, huge news. You've heard about it by now, but I want to talk to you about it. Microsoft buys Activision Blizzard. Casual $68 billion in cash. Why didn't they throw them an extra $300 million and make it 69 <laughs> Dude, you know that there was that conversation. Because with these kind of acquisitions, there's, you know, usually it doesn't like take like a year. But like, because the, the regulatory reasons and, the, you know, once an offer hits the table, it always has like an expiration date, blah, blah, blah. But I'm sure they're having this conversation. They're watching the stock price. Like, oh, we want, you know, here's our first offer encounter and blah, blah, blah. You know that at some point when it started getting close to 69, someone in the room was like, no. <laughs> you know it. You know it. There's no way. No way. But gamers, man. Hashtag gamer culture. Uh, Look, uh, the expectation the right on time. this, though, you're saying that about how long it takes. Apparently, everyone, all that's being said is like, this is something that happened really quickly. Like, as soon yeah. as their stock started coming down because of the workplace misconduct, which is rife for Activision Blizzard. Like to the point where, like you know, you've, I'm sure people that are focused on gaming will have heard this. Like, there's lots of issues in in gaming companies. But one of the things that makes Activision Blizzard is uh, Blizzard different is the state of California sued the company because of this. Like, it's yeah. a, a big, big deal, and then like stuff that's just not being addressed. And so because of that, a lot of gaming companies were like, I don't know if we want to work with them anymore, and it started to send the stock down because the board wasn't going to change anything from a senior management level. And then Microsoft come in, whoop, and so it's expected they probably got like a thirty percent discount on this acquisition. And otherwise, so from what I've heard, the idea was uh, Microsoft was interested in Activision Blizzard for a while, of course, and there, then I think this kind of Microsoft's act, uh, it, sorry, Microsoft's interested in everyone right now. True, yeah, right? that is actually true, but. It seems like, yeah, this was kind of the impetus. And especially, I mean, Phil uh, Phil Schiller, Phil Spencer, he went on sort of <laughs> record being like, hey, we're, you know, I don't think he used the language like we're reevaluating our relationship with Blizzard, but he, he said something that was fairly strong. He said, I think those were the words he uses. He used. I want to oh, see really? if I can oh, find the okay. quote. Uh, but relation. he was pretty... He was pretty firm on the idea of like, hey, this is not okay, as of course did Sony, and I don't know if Nintendo said anything, but like everyone was pretty firm and like, this is not okay, we need to really kind of rethink things. Uh, I just didn't think that, you know, rethinking the relationship was just to take over the entire company. Yeah, I'm trying to find, I think the, the quote, evaluating all aspects of their relationship with Activision Blizzard. I like how that sounds like it's ominous, like they're going to cut off 
Activision Blizzard and not just buy the company. Like those, those are two very different roads that that could have gone down. I mean, this is the. I mean, this is the the interesting part of all of this. Of like, was that a tactic? Could have been. Like you know what? I, I, so okay, especially now that we've got a little bit of space between the initial announcement and, and now. I think Microsoft and specifically, well, I mean, I think Microsoft generally, I think they've done a really good job of rehabilitating their image over the last, you know, 20 years. Because mm-hmm. it feels like to the old school people, Microsoft was like the evil company who are out here stealing, you know, this and that and, you know, forcing Internet Explorer down our throats and blah, blah, blah. But like, there certainly is a very different culture over the last, you know, 10, 15 years or so with Microsoft. Especially and Xbox. Like, I feel like they've kind of developed their own reputation now separate to Microsoft. Absolutely, absolutely. But I also think it's easy to have those rose-tinted glasses of just, you've got to remember, this is one of the largest companies in the world, Uh right? They are, you know, trying to be the the good company. And honestly, all the people I know inside Microsoft, everything that they do, generally speaking, is positive. And like, I don't think that there's like some evil nefarious thing around the corner or something. But that being said, they're still a company. They still need to make money and they still need to be ruthless when they need to be. And, you know, that's just the way the sort of world works in this kind of upper echelon of of sort of fortune three companies, I guess, because, you know, it's just it's so huge. But I, I just think that this is a generally speaking good thing at the moment. I think it is going to be a positive thing for Activision Blizzard to have sort of the, a new reset. I think there there was enough going on that they needed a change. And sure, they could have just, you know, replaced upper management and kind of tried to rebuild things. But I think this is more of a systemic like, hey, we're coming in here. Things are going to be different. They hopefully should be for the better. Like that, I, I think, is good in the short term, probably even in the medium term. Yeah, I think it's, it feels like it's a pretty decent expectation, right? Because this isn't a thing that I can recall hearing that is an issue at Microsoft in any organization at the moment. Like I haven't seen reports of anything like this. And obviously all eyes are on them now, so they have to get it right. But here's, I guess, sort of my bigger concern. And this is not a huge issue. And it's not like I don't think this should happen, right? Because it's not a done deal. It's not like, you know, they agreed on the the thing and, you know, Activision's already part. I believe they're waiting until June of next year. That's kind of like the deadline yeah. they've set, they've set June, for themselves to kind of... Exactly. To kind of make sure the deal happens if there are any, you know, legal or regulatory issues, et cetera, et cetera. There's still a lot that has to happen, right? But what I slightly fear is that this is going to set off a bit of a chain reaction, right? Because Microsoft is now going to own one of the largest gaming companies in the world, right? Massive amount of money, massive amount of new employees. Like this, this is a big deal, right? So this, I feel like almost has to set off a chain reaction. Sony needs to go buy like Square Enix or uh, something. I mean, then, like, for context, the size of this transaction, Microsoft spent sixty-eight point like four seven billion dollars or whatever buying Activision Blizzard. That's more than Nintendo's market cap. Now, to be fair, buying a company at their market cap isn't the way it works. I know that they actually spent significantly more than Activision's market yeah. cap on it, but that's that's normal. But still, the kinds of numbers we're talking about means that we can see titanic shifts in the industry. Makes me feel like Nintendo is undervalued, honestly. <laughs> when, when I well, hear that, like, uh, <laughs> it seems like, you know, like Nintendo are number one and have been for like four years. Like, whatever. And all the IP, like, geez. 
But then on the flip side, Activision, I mean, like, I heard a stat, and I, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but, like, Candy Crush alone was pulling in close to, like, a billion dollars in revenue per year. Yeah. And also, like, the morning that this was announced, it was also confirmed that uh, Call of Duty was the biggest game of the year again. Yeah, yeah. Like, Activision Blizzard might not seem like to a lot of like sort of gamers that like, oh, you know, they they make some big stuff or whatever. But if you look at them as like a business who just make obscene amounts of money, mm -hmm. very successful, very much kind of very in that same kind of like, conversation. They have the Absolutely. mainstream game. Call of Duty is like the mainstream game. Like that that's just yeah. kind of how it is at the moment. Yeah, and of course Blizzard has like and your Overwatch and StarCraft, which uh <clears throat> hey Phil, if you're listening, can you please bring StarCraft 3 out? Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. I'm gonna bring it to uh, Xbox. That's what I'm gonna do. Uh, look, I'll play StarCraft 3 on a Surface Duo if I have to. I just want a new StarCraft. <laughs> what, what, have you, what have I got to do? What, what hoops do I have to go through here to prove to you I want it? <laughs> but, yeah, man, I, like, it's easy, I think, to be super, like, you know, positive or negative or, like, this is a huge deal and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want to make it seem like this is a bad thing because I do think it is generally a good thing. I just think that we just need to accept the fact that things are changing now, right? Like, just like we've seen tons of, you know, in forever, you know, in like the startup space and social space, you know, Instagram being bought and WhatsApp and all these kind of huge acquisitions. I just think we need to prepare ourselves for the gaming space to see some similar consolidation. The big players are going to start gobbling up the small and medium guys. The medium guys are going to have to gobble up the small ones. And I think the time for indie devs is still here because I think unlike something like, you know, in film or whatever, where it's very difficult to make an indie movie that is huge and popular and successful, I think there's still a potential for, for games to be like that. It's not, it's not uh, the barrier to entry is so different. You could look at, um, uh, man, the game, oh my God, what do I do? Among Us. Among Us, yeah. You know, it's yeah. like a perfect example. Yeah, yeah. So I just think over the next 10 years, I think this is a really kind of kind of set the tone of what this decade is going to hold for gaming. I think is almost a complete sort of lock. They're going to see several more of these scale acquisitions, whether it's Square, whether it's Ubisoft, whether, I mean, I, I don't think it'll be, you know, someone buying Nintendo, but I, that kind of stuff is now part of the conversation. And while, yeah, we might have, be having this conversation, you know for a fact that the boards of these massive companies, whether it's Tencent or whether it's Sony or whatever, are absolutely saying, okay, we've got to make our move. Who are we going to try to buy? Like, that's 100% happening in boardrooms as we speak. Yeah. Like, look, Nintendo's not going to sell to anyone, right? Like, Probably and, not. And even with, like, the way that Microsoft buys Activision... Like you can't just buy a company. It doesn't work like that. Like you have to get a majority agreed, and so you can do that by offering them enough money. This is not going to happen with Nintendo, right? Like I just don't imagine yeah. any major stockholder in Nintendo being like, "Yeah, what we need is to sell to Microsoft." Like it just yeah, doesn't make sense for the company that way. Um, and also, and you know, you can do hostile takeovers, but that's just not going to work here. Like none of this stuff would, would make any sense because who at Nintendo is going to be like, oh yeah, the, the board is definitely <laughs> doing a bad job. Like, no, we're all good. Exactly. But you know, so it's like these companies have to, they have to agree to it or have to get some kind of quorum. I think the, I understand what you're saying. The problem is I don't think Sony have this kind of money. Like Xbox would not have the money to do this. Mm. 
they needed Microsoft's money. To put it into context, this was half of Microsoft's cash. Yep. The entire company. They took half of the cash that they had in the bank to buy this. No one else can do this. Like, so yes, we, what you, I agree with what you're saying. Like maybe Sony could buy a smaller company. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about like some of the smaller Japanese companies, like like you mentioned, like Square, right? Like yeah. you could imagine that working out. Um, it may be in a way that they would be potentially less willing to sell to Microsoft, like if they were going to do it. Yeah, Sony could just look. I, I do think the way that Sony could battle this because the thing we haven't spoken about yet is 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 um, for like cross uh, platform games, which will come to in a minute. Mm-hmm. I think. But the way that Sony could battle this is doing exactly what they're doing right now, but just a little bit more of it. Like people buy PlayStations for the PlayStation exclusives. And Microsoft yes. will still be getting will be getting more exclusives, and that's amazing. That's the whole thing that they're going for here. But God of War, Spider Man, uh, Horizon, mm-hmm. these games to a lot of gamers are worth having a PlayStation for. Now, the issue does get into the fact of like, all right, I've made my choice. I'm going to go with PlayStation. I prefer those exclusives. If you then also can't get insert game here that's when it becomes more complicated yeah and to be fair sony's starting to bring some of those titles albeit pretty late but they're starting to bring some of those titles to pc which Mm -hmm. uh like here's the thing right there's two ways to look at this there is the i want to grow my company by purchasing other studios developers whatnot to beef up the exclusives that i have but i think an equally strong motivator is the defensive move I want to buy Ubisoft so that Sony doesn't buy them and take all the way of the games from Xbox and PC, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I don't think it's quite as black and white because, you know, uh, I think they've already kind of talked about, you know, Microsoft's like, look, we're not going to take Call of Duty away for a little bit. Or, you know, like, they're trying to, like, make some noises of, like, hey, guys, everything will be fine. Don't worry. But we know how this goes. I mean, think about with the U.S. sort of cellular market. You know, there's this huge sort of merger between T-Mobile and Sprint, and they made a lot of promises that they're not going to change this and this and blah, 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 blah. And then as soon as the deal closes and everyone stops paying attention, oh, well, we're going to close a few stores. Or, oh, we're going to yep. do this, we're going to do that. Like, I, I think it's one of those things where once these things go through, it's just a matter of time before, oh, you know, yeah. I'm not going to say that, uh, every Activision game is going to be exclusive and never touch a PlayStation. I don't think that's realistic. Also, just because they make a lot of money on selling games for PlayStation. But those sort of levers are now, you know, possible. It's like, oh, you know what? Well, this new version of Overwatch, ah, that one doesn't need to hit PlayStation, right? Or, oh, this Call of Duty spinoff. Let's, let's test the waters and not release it on PS5. Like, I just think that there's a real defensive sort of mindset for mm-hmm. these acquisitions. And I think people are going to be surprised when Valve goes out and buys someone or, you know, like I think a lot of the studios that have been sort of big or medium-sized but independent, they're 100% like looking around. I, I think this is sort of really shaking up the game. Eh, pun intended. There's money to be made. But here's the thing. I would guess within five years... This, this would be my bet. Within five years of this deal closing, uh, Activision do not make games for PlayStation. Any. Ooh, like none. None. Why? Oh, I don't know about that. Why? Because well, they make so much money on it. Like, like So? It's t- Microsoft doesn't. They didn't make that money before. Why did they need to make it afterwards? Well, I don't think Microsoft spent that it's much. It's all Game Pass. That's all they care about. 
okay, that that is true. I I still kind of disagree a little bit. Like I think that Microsoft bought this $69 billion company because they make money, right? Like it's a profitable business, right? No, like I don't clearly, think they did it for the money. I I don't think they did it for the money. I think they did it just to continue beefing up Game Pass. That's all it's for. In my this is my read on it, right? What did like why did Microsoft lose out? They lost out because they made the con- the console too complicated and they didn't mm-hmm. have the exclusives, right? This is going back to the Xbox One, right? Was that it? The one after the 360? Yeah, Xbox One was where things started to rapidly deteriorate. This is when they went from clear market leader to clear market loser, right? And yep. like yep. PlayStation 4 destroyed the Xbox One. Like it was... Like, Sony were just taking out ads. Like, I would see billboards just saying how many people they'd sold consoles to. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like absolute destruction. Yep. So Sony, so Microsoft has spent the last five years or whatever doing two things. They're trying to make sure that they've got the the, the uh, cross-platform games, which is easy enough to do, right? But then also going after the exclusives. Did this in two ways. They made their games better. They bought up studios. So like they, you know, like look at Bethesda, right? Bethesda yep. has a new game coming out, Starfield. You, you know how Bethesda works. That was supposed to be an anywhere that can play it, they'll put it on, right? Obviously, what what they you think they were making that for Microsoft from the beginning? No way were they, right? This was going to be everywhere, but nope, now it's just going to be on on Microsoft platforms. The way I see this is like they could have some Call of Duty game, which is cross part part and it got, sticks around for a while, a game as a service type game. Like kind of like GTA four or whatever. But like that sure, for sure. me, like that and like Warzone, and like that's it. If there's a new Call of Duty game, it'll just be on Xbox. You wanna play it? Was well, a few ways you can do it. One, get an Xbox. Two, use XCloud. Three, convince and like I could imagine Microsoft doing this because this is the kind of marketing they've been doing over the last few years, saying, hey, we've gone to Sony and said, just put Game Pass on PlayStation. And they won't do it. Because <laughs> this is the only... kind of attitude they've had over the last few years, right? Of like yeah. this kind of like, well, we've, you know, we want to come to the table, but no one else will kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a Game Pass is 100% a huge motivator here, right? Because it's one this thing... This is the reason they're doing all of this. Like, they have 25 million subscribers to Game Pass now. Yep, yep. And it's it's growing quickly, right? And the thing is, what they're doing is they're setting it up. Like, Game Pass has been a good deal pretty much since the beginning. But really, over the last few years, it's been a good deal, right? It's a great deal. Best deal in gaming. Yeah, yeah. And, like, now that they're bringing so many more titles, like, I think at a bare minimum... Day one, this acquisition closes. You're going to see a bunch of Activision Blizzard games land on Game Pass, like just instantly, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's no reason why they wouldn't. And uh, it's interesting because Sony feels like sort of in traditional Sony fashion, right? Like, I think they always kind of sort of ping pong between the highs of success and then they kind of rest on their laurels and then they kind of get sort of surprised by something that happens and then they come back swing, right? And this feels very much like sort of with the PS3, Sony. They didn't lose, but they got bruised really badly, right? Like, the 360 came out first. It was pretty much better. Games ran better on it. The PS3 only caught up it to it in sales at the very end of the generation after they lost a ton of money on the, the cell architecture and blah, 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 right? Like, Microsoft 
beat Sony in the PS3 360 generation. However, Sony got serious. They went kind of back to basics. They made the PS4 an excellent gaming console, whereas mm-hmm. Microsoft did whoever knows whatever their nonsense was with the Xbox One. They tried to make Xbox the center of your living room. Exactly. And Connect and all this kind of nonsense. Yeah. Yes. And so Microsoft threw away that generation, right? Like they spent the entire generation trying to just get back on the footing that they were at at the end of the 360. Like they threw it away in about five minutes of a presentation, uh, 10 years of work, right? But now we see that Sony, after doing a simple back to basics kind of PS4, and they did fine, sold a ton of them for PS5. They didn't change anything. It's just a better PS4. Whereas Microsoft has been building Game Pass. They've been, well, honestly, just taking a giant pile of money from Papa Microsoft to to bring into the Xbox division to buy studios, to build all this stuff up. And now they have themselves, not only the goodwill of gamers, they have a more diverse line of consoles plus PC. They've got Game Pass, which is this huge asset. All the momentum is really in Microsoft's court right now, which to me is like, okay, Hopefully, this is a wake-up call for Sony. A lot of rumors that they're going to build their own Game Pass service that probably is going to launch this year realistically is kind of from my guess, at least. I mean, I think already calling it their own Game Pass is the, is the problem that Sony are going to have with this. They are not going to, to make something as good as Game Pass. I just don't imagine yeah. it. Like, do you imagine yeah. they would have a service where like, I would pay them $10 a month or whatever and I'm going to get uh, Horizon in a couple of weeks? No way. Well, so... Sort of. I, I do think they the should. Game Pass I just don't think they will. <laughs> well, it depends, right? Because like the subscription model is king, right? I mean, how many subscription models do you have on streaming music and watching video and this and that? Like, I mean, subscriptions are absolutely a huge deal. And I think in the gaming side, it kind of makes more sense than a lot of other industries, right? Like, I think you know, for for video, there are certain cases in which, like, you know what? I'm going to buy like this show on iTunes and it's cheaper than the $17 a month I spent on Netflix and the $12 Mm -hmm. I spent here and 15, blah, blah, blah. But for games, it's like, oh, look, every new game comes out at 60, 70 bucks. You don't even want to play one of those, you know, a month or one every other month or whatever. It adds up really quickly, right? So I think if you're looking at 10, 15 bucks a month for all the, you know, the PS5 first party exclusives, there's been a lot of talk that they're going to bring more backwards compatibility to the PS5 finally, and that would be included in this Game Pass service. So I would love it. I do not think they would do it. Like, I don't think they would do it. I think they would have a service that has some stuff, but like mm-hmm. day in date, first party PlayStation games on us. I just, I would love it. I just can't, I just don't see it. I don't see it. Imagine a tiered service. Imagine they have. I'm just going to make up a number. $10, $20, and $30 Uh a month, right? 10 bucks a month gets you a bunch of PS4 games and PS5 games after like 90 days, right? Yep. 20 bucks a month gets you a bunch of PS1, PS2, PS3 games, and PS5 games after like 30 days. And 30 bucks gets you PS5 games day and date, every PS3 game they've ever made, tons of PS4 games, PS1, PS2, like pretty much the whole kitchen sink. Like there's a number in which that 100% makes sense for them to bring it day and day uh-huh. as soon as it comes out. Uh-huh. I just don't know if that number can be competitive with what Microsoft has done. And honestly, the years that they've spent building Game Pass to the point where it is right now, yep. I think Sony's probably looking at the back catalog being like, okay, cool, this is like our easy, simple way of sort of bringing something to the service. You want loads of games, right? Here's loads of games. You know, like I agree with you. That's probably what they would think about doing, but like, I just don't think that that is... Cr- competitive it's not competitive it needs to be like they need to match microsoft really they need to for yeah 10 15 bucks a month 
They need to give you all the games, day one, end of story. Like, that's really what they need to do. But I think the difference is Microsoft, I don't know. I mean, you know, they talk about the amount of subscribers. And like you said, 25 million for Game Pass. It's a good number, right? But also, they're spending a lot of money to get those 25 million subscribers, right? Like, to give away all these games, to develop all these first-party titles. Like, that is an enormously expensive sort of proposition. And I wouldn't be surprised if even with 25 million subscribers, Microsoft are actually not profiting on the oh. Game Pass sort of idea. <laughs> Funny, they just spent 70 billion. They're not profiting <laughs> yet, you know? Exactly. But so it's I, like, in how many years care. have they been making Game Pass? Well, so they don't, yeah, exactly. That's the difference, right? Microsoft have big pockets. They can lose money on Game Pass for years and years and years because the end result will be the Game Pass will be the place to play games. Yep. Everyone will have it, and they can do the Netflix thing. They'll crank up the price a couple dollars every few years, yep. and this and that, and all this kind of stuff, right? And then but they it's all own, about getting those subscribers. They own gaming. Microsoft owns gaming. That's the title of the podcast. But that's what they want. And this is, what, this is why, like, for me, they are playing, like, the 3D chess version of, mm-hmm. this, in, of this business right now where they are using everything that they have at their disposal, right? Game Pass includes the cloud streaming, which is built on Azure. Sony don't have any of this. They can't do it. And they don't have the cash. And so, like, for some reason, someone at Microsoft, Satya Nadella, decided that this was an important thing. So they're like, all right, fine, we'll just go for it. All these big tech companies want want, want you, they want your credit card, and they want it on a monthly basis, right? For whatever reason, that's just what the business is now. Xbox mm-hmm. has got it. And, you know, like, as soon as they bring out, like, the dongle or whatever they're going to do, right? You just plug it into your TV and you're just good to go. And you just stream in. Like, I don't know, man. I just think, for me, I, I there's a there's a show that uh, I watch called X-Cast. And there's a guy on the show, his name is Paris Lilly. And he said this about, um, he said this about Bethesda and he said it about Blizzard. And it's the same thing. So I'll just say the one that he said about, about Activision Blizzard. You do not spend $70 billion and change nothing. Yes. Yes. Right? And that's absolutely. why I keep coming back to this idea of like, I just don't think that in the long term they're making cross party games. Mike, uh, so Minecraft is the exception. Minecraft yep. was basically bought by Microsoft, not Xbox. And I think that the Xbox division's decisions are we make games for Game Pass. It just so happens you can play them on Xboxes. You can also play them on PCs and on anything else we can try and get them on in the future. Like, I just think that's where they're moving towards. That's where the business is going. And I just don't know if I see, like, cross-party as part of that. And I just don't know, you know, I just feel like for me, it's like this is this is where they're aiming at. They just want to be the center of everyone's gaming world and they can do it for a low, low monthly fee. So let's do a little theory crafting, right. shall we? Let's put ourselves in 2027 or 2030, whatever. Like, yep. you know, end of the decade, this has all been closed. You know, Microsoft has owned Activision Blizzard for years. StarCraft 3 is great, and I love it. We probably moved into or moving into the next console generation at that point, right? Eight years. Very good point. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that you know, that's even better. Let's let's imagine the the landscape as we go into PS6 and Xbox Series <laughs> Y plus one or whatever. No, it would just be something else with X in it and you just won't understand <laughs> how it works. Xbox box box box. Yeah. X. Xbox with two X's at the end. 
triple X, more power. <laughs> so <laughs> ima- imagine that world, right? Yeah. Where consolidation, I think, is inevitable, right? You mm-hmm. know, Sony is still around, Nintendo's still around, Microsoft's still around, but like instead of having 15 big studios, there's like three or four, Valve is kind of doing their own thing, but sort of things have been kind of slowly sort of being worked down, all right? We've got a new generation of consoles, but I think PC is still probably just as healthy, if not even more so, right? I think there's still the three, Sony, Xbox, and you've got the the PC side of things all doing well, and then Switch 2 might be out by then. What do we think, like, what, what what do we think that sort of pitch is, right? Like, obviously, they throw out disk drives. Like, who needs them? Game Pass, everything. Yep. But, like, think about how games can even be different, right? Like, and I know that they've been uh, talking a little bit about it for, for not only the streaming side, but for Game Pass, of making sure that games start out really punchy. Kind of the way that, you know, like, I think mm-hmm. about, like, starting a video, right? Of if someone, like isn't investing and spending the time and the money to, you know, buy a game or whatever. They just download it. Like, hey, you know what? I should give this a try. They've got to make the beginning of that game super, super interesting to make sure that it hooks you and you actually want to keep playing it. Yeah, we were talking about that with Forza, right? Like how great the start of Forza is. A perfect example, right? And Forza, for the record, is I think not only the most popular Forza launch ever, but like it's right there with Halo Infinite as far as like huge, huge games. But think about the other side, right? Like so... Obviously, a huge part of gaming revenue today are is in DLC. It's in sort of cosmetic items. It's in sort of boosts and all this kind of stuff. What does that world look like when we're all paying subscriptions to get games, right? Like, is that sort of been toned down? Or realistically, are we all spending way more? Like, we just expect to get the games for free, but now we're going to spend even more money on all the extra upgrades and free-to-play stuff. Like, in a way, you could almost think about this as every game is free-to-play it, it's I, look. I, I'm throwing stuff out there. Maybe it's crazy. Well, none of it's free to play, right? Well, it's it's free to play with your subscription. Yeah, it's included right? to play or whatever. I feel like it's kind of a hybrid of something like Apple Arcade and then these games as a service. Like that, yeah. it just makes sense ultimately for a game to just keep growing because if you keep playing the game, there's continues to be a good reason to have your subscription like i actually imagine in 10 years less new game launches like just mm-hmm. in general that like what it actually makes sense is like build a really good game platform and keep like iterating on that platform so like it's yep. you know like say like call of duty there's no point having a new call of duty every year like what's the point you just maybe every f- three or four or five years there's like a big jump for the game but other than that yeah. every six months every nine months here's a new thing for that game that you already love right like there's no point rebooting the game franchise every year yeah absolutely but like what the kind of stuff that i would imagine in that world well one microsoft is number one yeah and sony is nintendo Sony is Nintendo. That's a... Nintendo does hmm. great doing what they do. They have their first-party stuff, which makes it worthwhile to buy the consoles for. And then if someone wants to make something for their platform, either indie or cross-play, they'll take it, right? I could imagine Sony taking that too. Like, they have their own games, which are amazing, and if there's cross-party stuff, then they'll take it. And like a friend of mine, Shahid, he uh, I host another video game show here on Real FM. Shahid used to work for PlayStation for years. He was kind of like head of the the bringing a lot of indie games to the Vita and stuff. That was like his big mm-hmm. thing that he did there. He described this to me like 
now and looking into the future of like Microsoft is Netflix. Sony yep. is going to the cinema. Mm. The best experience for yeah. the best content. Right? You can go to the cinema, you'll do it a few times a year and you'll have a great time. You know, you'll go see Avengers, right? You'll go see James Bond, these big blockbusters, right? Yeah. But then for your general, just like I want to just play a bunch of like fun stuff and see what's out there, you just go to Xbox, go to Game Pass. And and it's up to you as a consumer if you want both of those experiences or not. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Which is why I think in general, Microsoft will win. I think more mainstream gamers will buy Xboxes because they'll have, a, they'll have more options available, more games available. But Sony will still do really well doing what they do and making like the best video games for gamers. And then you'll end up like a lot of gamers now anyway, you have more than one console at home. Sure, sure. So the only thing that like, I agree. I think that the premise makes sense to me. But then in our hypothetical 2030, right, mm-hmm. where Game Pass and subscriptions are the predominant way that you download and acquire games. I think you had a great point as far as, you know, the idea that you wouldn't see a new Call of Duty or whatever every year. It's more games as a service and sort of you get people on and then you give them more content versus brand new games. Because think about it. Why is there a brand new Call of Duty or Madden or whatever every year? It's because they want to get another $60, $70 out of you. They want to sell you the new thing. Like, you know, F1 doesn't need a new game every year. They could just update the the car models and the, the drivers and it's the same thing, right? But we yep. still spend the full money and buy it every year. In a world where we don't do that anymore and that we just download it on Game Pass or PS Pass or whatever the case is, is there still the incentive for games, these sort of big tentpole kind of things to come to to PlayStation? Like, is Sony still going to be able to find that sustainable? Like, how many people buy – I mean, yeah, sure. Some people go to the theaters, of course, and I think that's a a completely valid point. But – other than that, like how many people still buy movies on like iTunes or or Zoom Pass or whatever Microsoft yep. calls it these days? Like it's not as many because we all know, oh, I'm just gonna wait till it lands on Disney Plus or lands on Netflix or whatever the case is. Like I think once people really become accustomed to the idea that they don't need to spend the $70, $80 per game anymore, I think that's gonna be a really powerful incentive to the subscription model to the point where it, to me, kind of feels inevitable. It feels like Sony has to do it. Like, I don't think they have the choice in just making the same consoles, making the same sort of decisions, making the same kind of games they've always done. Games are great, but the way that we consume them, I think, going forward, has been changed forever. And now that we're going to see all these acquisitions and all this kind of crazy nonsense, which I feel really confident is going to happen over the next few years, I just think gaming as a whole will never be the same. I think it's probably for the good, mostly, but I just think that we kind of almost have to change our expectations for what the rest of this generation, what the next generation is truly gonna look like.